Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show I do where I talk about the stuff I've seen since the last time I did one of these. That's right, it's just me. As usual, uh, Tyler is still in the grips of an ongoing medical, uh, very serious medical condition. You can find out everything you need to know over at caringbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. That's also where you can find a link to the GoFundMe if you would like to help Tyler and Jenny and, and, and their family with uh, with medical bills and, and, and expenses uh, related to this thing that's been going on for, for months. Um, we don't know when Tyler will be back. We hope it's soon. Uh, in the meantime, these movie journals will be short because it'll just be me. This one might be it probably won't be that long um even though it's been a while uh but you might be able to tell from my voice that i've been sick for a while i tried to do this last week and i got a few minutes in and i was so out of breath uh that i i just couldn't do it um but uh i feel like i'm coming to the end of this sickness thing but that also could be that i'm because i'm just so like pumped full of medications right now that it just feels uh closer to the end than it is we'll see when my when my uh, prescriptions run out if i suddenly snap back to uh coughing all day like bobby bacala's dad all right let's talk about the movies that i've seen luckily there won't be as many given that it's been over a month um there aren't as many as you would think because scott and i talked about afi fest which is a big part of um my uh movie watching and also um i've been watching a lot of stuff for our um the the profile episode that scott and i are going to do in early december so that stuff obviously will be saved for the profile so um that's at least helping a little bit uh take some of the uh the weight off of of, of what i have to talk about i'm going to start with a big one a huge blind spot um that I'm seeing only, I guess, technically seeing for the first time. I counted as seeing it for the first time. I finally, this was Halloween time. This is how long ago it's been. It's pre-Halloween. Finally watched, for real watched, John Carpenter's The Thing. Now, some of you longtime listeners are saying, but David, you guys did a commentary marathon about alien invasion movies. You watch movies all day and talk about them and talk through them, and one of them was The Thing. You're right. I technically sat in a room while the thing was on a TV with the sound off and the subtitles on. But it was just shooting the shit with people. That's what those commentaries are. Um, I had never really seen it. Now I've really seen the thing. And uh, yeah, it's as good as everyone says. It's a masterclass in tension and in uh, uh, casting character actors who have fantastic faces. And then those faces... uh, do horrible things with uh with makeup um and uh uh yeah i i just absolutely uh loved it i I look forward to watching it again and again i have the blu-ray now so i will probably watch it uh more and more often all right so next up for me still i guess kind of sticking with a horror type theme um i watched um Lucky McKee's Old Man. I've been a Lucky McKee fan since May. May is a great movie. Um, I also liked, I forget what it was called, but the uh, the um, Masters of Horror episode he did, which was also with Angela Bettis from, from May. Uh, this new movie, Old Man, is um, a sort of, uh, I guess a two-hander. There's technically four people listed in 
in the uh, in the cast, but it's 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 really just a um, Stephen Lang, an actor named Mark Center. Stephen Lang plays an old old man uh, who lives alone in a cabin in the woods, and it's Stephen Lang. You know, I like Stephen Lang a lot, and I like his willingness to to go big and chew the scenery. And he picks a a, a, a sort of haunted wily southern old man voice um and sticks with it the the entire movie uh and uh he yeah he lives alone uh, except for he might have it sounds like he has a pet or something but we never see it or maybe we do later you know we'll see um and a uh a young man out on a hike who got lost in the woods shows up at his door and the old man welcomes him in with some hospitality but there's also a lot of threat there and it's basically just a What's the movie about? Um, Ninety. Oh yeah, just a little over ninety minutes um, of uh, these two going back and forth about uh, questioning each other's history and motives and suspicion. Of course, other things come up that I won't really get into. But I, I really found the movie to be uh, really engaging, uh, really, really creepy. There's a fantastic use of 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 sound design um one of those things where the movie has a score but also the sometimes the score is just sounds uh i uh uh i really dug it. i don't want to give too much away about about where it goes and like i said there are some other people listed in the cast who show up maybe maybe flashbacks maybe something else i don't want to give too much away but yeah old man it's not you know it's not lucky mckee doing may again which is so great but it's uh it's still good um Less good, unfortunately, and I already talked about this a little bit on the main podcast. Uh, Nina Menke's returned to filmmaking with the documentary Brainwashed or Brainwashed Sex Camera Power. It's a documentary about um, the male gaze and the way that uh, cinematic language has formed behind a male, specifically a like cishet male like view of the world and of women and that the cinematic language as developed <clears throat> uh reinforces uh strictures on the way that um women are seen and not seen and dehumanized in society in in the movies um and it's an important it's obviously an important topic and it feels like the movie was made more as like a teaching tool than as a work of cinema which is odd for Nina Menke he's a, a, a very powerful cinematic filmmaker um but uh it it just felt like this movie could have been made 25 years ago it feels like it hasn't kept up with the conversation in terms of like it's very binary and um I feel like it's like an on an older wave of feminism that isn't really taking into account the idea of women appreciating one another's bodies as if that's that's not possible as if the only people who appreciate women's bodies are men who appreciate them in lascivious predatory ways uh, it just felt very simplistic and like a real uh just it sort of felt like a starting point for a conversation but that came too late the conversation's already been happening beyond this um, there's a lot of clips from from movies and and, and some of them I, mean, I think she does like do some like film theory that actually makes some interesting 
uh, interesting points. You know, the idea of like classic Hollywood women glamour shots being framed in such a way that they are delocated from the actual background of the of of the movie. Um, they become objects in space instead of like people in a place. Um, that's that's kind of interesting. There's um, yeah, there's there's some there's some other stuff that I that you can find that is is um, decent, interesting film theory. But a, a lot of it is stuff that I would imagine that people. Uh, I mean, I have an idea in my head of the person who listens to Battleship Pretension, and I feel like they know most of this stuff. And so, uh, yeah, it's kind of a kind of a disappointment, I have to say, um, for a filmmaker that I've only relatively recently, like in the past four or so years. Um, come to have a lot of fondness for and then she comes back to new filmmaking and uh it's just uh underwhelming i guess is is the thing um also surprisingly underwhelming uh james gray's armageddon time i uh i like james gray because i'm one of those fuddy duddies that uh <laughs> in so many ways that scott and i talked about i i i, I like his 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 stuff um and armageddon time is certainly uh i guess it's a sort of semi-autobiographical type of uh movie about a um <clears throat> a new york uh jewish kid who goes um to starts in public school and, and befriends um a poor black kid his age and then moves into private school but so, sort of maintains this friendship with with this kid and um you know james gray has still has uh his filmmaking chops although he's not working this time with uh, his usual editor john axelrad but i still think the movie is well edited maybe i should look up who edited uh this one but i i, I did make note of the it not being john axelrad who i generally associate with his movies it was scott morris is the editor of this movie um, who I got okay had been an assistant editor on Ed Astra and Lost City of Z and stuff like that so uh, maybe John Axelrod couldn't do it anyway um, so the filmmaking chops are there I love Anne Hathaway I don't love Jeremy Strong I'm not I, I think I just need to watch the succession to get what everybody likes about him because I um, don't find him I find him more annoying than anything as uh, as an actor and he plays the dad but Anne Hathaway is the mom she's good but really it just comes down to the content of the film just this the treatment of um this this sort of like he's trying to make like white guilt the movie and trying to like it feels like he's trying to apologize but it also feels like it's self-pitying and maybe like he's asking for forgiveness or something like uh it it, it seems self-serving in, in a lot of ways it, it, that that kind of self-serving pity like you know uh I mean, it's usually framed as like white white women's tears, but like it could be white men's tears too. Like it it feels like he's uh, really just saying he's sorry for white guilt for his white guilt, but in a way that he wants you to let him off the hook. I would say ultimately it feels feels mean to say about a filmmaker that I like so much, but ultimately I found the movie kind of embarrassing. To be frank. Um what I didn't find embarrassing, even though it could have been in the wrong hands, is a terrific movie directed by Amanda Kramer called Please Baby Please. And uh, holy shit, this is fantastic. It takes place in sort of an 
uh, theatrically sort of imaginary heightened version of 1950s I guess New York City I can't remember if it's specific but the city um, where there's a kind of uh, square young married couple played by Harry Melling and the great Andrea Riseborough uh, who at the beginning of the movie um, witness on the street outside their apartment building a gang of greaser toughs um, randomly uh, attack and murder a passerby just for fun, just for a fun night out and that sort of like that shock sets things off um, in a way that uh, has a lot to do with violence but has less to do with violence than it does with uh gender roles and gender expectations and um uh andrea riseborough um very much blossoms into i guess a uh it would be reductive to say that she becomes more like macho becomes more swaggery and um in forward but she still uh but it doesn't she's not denying her femininity quite the opposite she's taking possession of it whereas harry milling is questioning or or not even questioning pushing against those who would question whether his um uh placid passive behavior uh in reaction to this violence is somehow less manly um i don't know this, i'm making it all sound very academic when really it's a movie that is full of dance and music sequences and huge like over-the-top set pieces and bright neon lighting and high contrast theatricality you know um the sets are more like you know stage pieces than than they are uh realistic sets in any way it's um uh, yeah it's definitely something i would say is uh surreal bordering on experimental um in kind of a, uh, a a love letter to like you know fifties teen exploitation movies, but as imagined through the the sixty plus years that have seventy years or so that have happened since then, like all of the visions of New York City from from that to to the present or vision of the american city i guess from that to the present and um and and the way that uh american cities have been sort of flashpoints for uh changes in our understanding of sexuality and gender um again i, I keep coming back to making it sound academic because i don't really know how else to talk about how just cool it is it's a super cool movie called please baby please i loved it so much uh, i would recommend it to anyone and andrea riseborough uh, national treasure um really she's not bad at anything um let's i want to move on to a movie that is bad unfortunately um also unfortunately we have to pause for a second while i take a drink of water i don't have a co-host to toss to while i take a drink of water so hold on so the next movie uh on my list is Ali Abbasi's Holy Spider. Uh, Ali Abbasi made Border a few years ago, which I thought was fine. Um, but Holy Spider is uh, quite bad, actually. It's um, 
based on a true story of, um, I think in the early 2000s, a man in, uh, I forget what city, in an Iranian city who was murdering prostitutes. And when he was caught, there was a vocal segment of the population who was saying that he was doing something good for society and he was doing godly work um and the movie first off i think makes the mistake of making the killer way too much of a point of view character he's not like the main character but we get way too many scenes from his point of view um the main character i guess is an invention a a a female newspaper reporter who um in this version of the story ends up being key to capturing the man and then testifying against him. Um, but I think the movie's real problem is how much it seems to revel in the murderers themselves and, um, the, 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 just the, the pointless lingering on the suffering of these women. Um, through the eyes of this killer is how is, is how we see it. Um, I, I I don't understand the impulse to make the movie that way. Um, it feels insultingly sensationalistic and and cheap, um, and uh, it feels like it wants some sort of credit for shining a light on an important issue or something. But uh, it's really just. Kind of hard to sit through, I have to say. Um, okay, let's move on to a much better film. Um, celebrating its 50th anniversary, this new restoration of a movie I'd never heard of. Um, a Quebecois movie from 1972 called Dream Life, or La Vie Rêve, directed by uh, Maria Dansereau. Um, there's a yeah, new, re- new restoration that I watched. Uh, the movie is aptly named Dream Life because it is very, very surreal. Um, it's about a couple of young women who become friends and start working on a sort of project together that has to do with filmmaking. Um, and so I definitely, you know, like I said, it's from Quebec, so it's in French. So like 1970s, young female friends speaking French, working on a project in a surreal, fantastical movie. I definitely couldn't not think of Celine and Julie Go-Boating, but it's kind of... Um, it would be kind of wrong of me to just make that one-to-one comparison. It's easy to think of that, but the movie, but Dream Life, is very much its own thing as well because uh, it's about, like I mentioned, it's about filmmaking, and um, uh, they 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 meet working in a production company that makes commercial films, but the movie itself is very uh, non-commercial. It's it's funny, uh, it's strange, it's it's beautiful. It has a lot of sort of like slow motion and collage type of filmmaking and like, uh, I guess like, what do you call it? Like a photo roman type of filmmaking, stop motion, like live action stop motion, whatever you would call that sort of thing. Um, it's just very cool and inventive and dreamy uh, as the name suggests and i'm glad that it has been restored and is uh out there for people to see um all right we're gonna keep moving on to elegance bratton's the inspection um this is another uh semi-autobiographical movie in which uh in this case an actor 
whose name, let me tell you his name, his name's Jeremy Pope, uh, stars as a, I guess, a version of um, uh, Elegance Bratton himself, uh, who was a um, gay man, and is a gay man, but <laughs> at this time in the early 2000s was a gay man who had been... Uh, more or less kicked out, they get more or less disowned by his mother and um, had, you know, tenuous living situations and found uh, purpose and strength in life through joining the Marines. So the inspection uh, takes place over the course, for the most part, takes place over the course of, of Marine training, basic training. Um, and, uh, um, uh, there's a uh, I, I think it was interesting to hear because I went to a screening where Elegance Bratton introduced it and to hear him talk about like the Marines giving him purpose because the inspection is I think it ultimately does end up there but it is not a rah-rah pro-Marine movie it makes basic training look like hell it looks uh, it also does not shy away from homophobia in the military especially in a like you know uh, still in the don't ask don't tell era when this takes place um uh it's a very unflattering in many ways look at at joining the marines um but it's really more the story of a man coming into his his own in in more or less learning to define himself as his own person and not the way his mother sees him but i think that's uh, my only like drawback from the movie and I wonder I wonder how much of it is the movie and how much of it is just me because um, I had trouble kind of relating to the Gabriel Union plays the mom and she's she's very good um, but the parts of the movie that are so much about him uh, desiring his mother's acceptance I think I obviously am you know like most people I want my parents my, my one living parent mom to be proud of me but i don't think i've ever had that burning desire maybe because i've never been so fully rejected by uh, a parent the way that that someone like this character or elegance Bratton in real life was so i i did have some trouble connecting with the kind of through line that or that that is the the impetus and the conclusion of the movie but the whole middle part like more than just the middle part the main part of the movie the the basic training itself is is really uh well realized and um you've also got a uh, fantastically uh menacing performance from the great bokeem woodbine as as the i guess sergeant joe instructor whatever you call the person who runs the marine uh, training um and also raul castillo is in it he's good um because he's in every movie and he's always good um it really does feel like that guy's in, in everything, and I've got no no complaints. Um, all right, where are we now? Now we're on to, well, that's AFI Fest stuff. Okay. Um, next movie for me is that another, like, uh, I don't know if this counts as a blind spot, but, like, a filmmaking team that I've heard a lot about over the years and have never seen any of their stuff, I went ahead and just jumped right into their new one. It's... Uh, Benson and Moorhead, Justin, Best, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, their new film is called Something in the Dirt. Um, and it is 
ostensibly a supernatural film about two neighbors who discover a supernatural phenomenon in one of their apartments and um, decide to investigate it by making a documentary about it. Uh, so it has a lot of supernatural stuff, kind of creepy stuff. It's kind of on the edge of being horror, but I don't even know if I'd really fully call it that. Um, but what I really liked about it, and this made me want to watch more of their movies, is it's way more about these two guys and their uh, insecurities um, uh, and, and the ways that they're putting themselves into this thing and making this documentary as a way to... Uh, assuage their own um yeah insecurities about not having made much of their uh, of their lives um and so you get cool creepy stuff happening but also you get them kind of like passive aggressively like disagreeing about how the film should be made or what the film should be called and it's like um kind of funny but it's not really a comedy either but it, it is funny but uh uh yeah, I, I I liked it. I thought it was, um, I thought it was cool. Um, I definitely want to check out more of their stuff. Uh, let's keep on keeping on and talk about Eric Apple's weird, the Weird Al Yankovic story. Um, yeah, I like. Uh, I mean, Eric Apple has a lot of uh, background in alt comedy. He made the original Weird uh, trailer with Aaron Paul over 10 years ago that this is kind of based on now you've got Daniel Radcliffe playing Weird Al in a highly fictionalized uh, uh, biopic of, of Weird Al's life and career um, yeah I uh, it's mostly just a um, a, a joke machine um, and uh, I found it to be mostly quite, quite funny um, it's a it's a parody of biopics, which you've already had, like with Walk Hard, um, and arguably Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> um, uh, but it also parodies other things. It's also like sometimes very insidery about Weird Al, which I which I found rewarding <laughs> um, as a as a as a youthful Weird Al fan. Um, I uh, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's certainly worse ways to pass the time. It's not. Uh, um, it's not as indulgent and it doesn't get as old as I thought it would because it is able to like change what it's doing. And you've also got a fantastic, uh, cast, uh, Daniel Radcliffe, but also like, uh, Evan Rachel Wood plays Madonna, which is fantastic. She's great. Um, yeah. So yeah, I liked weird. What are you going to say? Sue me. All right. So that's, oh wow. We're coming to the end of it. Wow. Okay. Uh, so now we're jumping way back, uh, in time to 1937. Um, I watched a Douglas Sirk movie from before he came to America. Pardon me real quick. <clears throat> this is one of his German films, though it takes place. It's a German film, but it's about Swedish people in Puerto Rico. Uh, it's called La Habanera. And um, it was part of a, uh, I think I talked in the last movie journal forever ago um, about the other one on this set, which is To New Shores, which is about, again, a German movie about English and Australian people. Um, but uh, 
Labanera is definitely the lesser of the two. Um, I still think that his power as a uh, melodramatist and romantic filmmaker is there, especially in the opening scenes where you find it's a uh, an aunt and her niece who are Swedish aristocrats uh, on a long vacation in Puerto Rico, and just there, just like the day before, they're ready to set sail back to to Sweden. Um, the younger one sort of falls for the local, uh, I don't know what he is, the Don, the, 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 the Mr. Burns of the town. Um, she kind of, uh, falls for him and decides to stay behind. And that, that whole, that, those whole, those scenes really have that Douglas Sirk power. Um, but then the movie jumps 10 years and we kind of find that the aunt was right. And this was the wrong decision for these young women to make. And she's miserable in Puerto Rico and, and um the aunt uh sends a swedish doctor under uh the guise of a research mission to actually try and get uh her niece to come back to sweden with the son she's now had with the puerto rican uh guy and i don't know there's some good stuff in 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 the movie um it feels it's almost a musical it has a lot of songs sung in it um which I enjoyed that part, but uh, the melodrama is kind of obvious. The bad guy is too much of a bad guy, and also it's hard to avoid the fact that a lot of it feels racist towards the the Puerto Ricans um, in in uh, depicting Puerto Rico as a um, as a corrupt and and, and backwards place. Uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 hard to like, but uh, you know the the Kino Loberset had both movies in it, and Two New Shores is definitely worth worth watching, worth owning. So I'm glad I have it for that. Um, another old movie, even older, 1932's Merrily We Go to Hell, which is only the second Dorothy Arzner film I've ever seen. I'd only ever seen The Bride, excuse me, The Bride Wore Red before, and I like that movie, but I like Merrily We Go Go to Hell even more. Um, it's a it's very much a pre-code movie right like under the wire kind of pre-code movie um that's uh frederick march um plays a uh just a, a hopeless drunk of a newspaper reporter and columnist who uh meets uh a um <clears throat> an heiress uh played by the great sylvia sydney at a party and she falls for him his charm he's very charming but um so many of us are when we're drunk um and uh falls for his charms and they get married against her father's uh wishes and um then he goes through career ups and downs and uh and there's more that i don't want to get into that's like the uh, it's a it's a fantastic it too fantastically written but also played characters um uh frederick marsh as who, who is really getting that sort of um walking that line of being the guy who's uh incredibly seems incredibly suave and self-possessed but it's actually just a front for an ongoing deep untreated self-hatred um and sylvie sydney is playing someone who um loves and cares 
so deeply but isn't you know maybe because of her sheltered upbringing um isn't able to uh put into words or or even form the full thoughts of what she feels and why she loves this man but i think sylvia sydney plays it very well where she doesn't like seem naive or stupid it's just the she's only been able to see the world one way her entire life and and she kind of uh is going through a lot of pain trying to fit this man and this marriage that she finds herself in uh into the way she sees things and 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 she's willing to try anything to to keep this marriage on the rails even as frederick march's self-destructive selfish behavior uh is leading them to to tragedy it's a beautifully romantic but also very painful sometimes anti-romantic movie oh it also has a uh uh, early, like, pre-big fame appearance by, by Cary Grant as, uh, um, I guess a late challenger for Sylvia Sidney's affections. Um, and yeah, this is, like, kind of like Marilyn Monroe and All About Eve. This is not a blink-and-you-miss-it blink type of appearance. It's very clearly, like, oh, man, that's Cary Grant, and he has something. Uh, he's fantastic. Um, so yeah, uh, great job all around on Merrily We Go to Hell. Uh, and while we're coming to the home stretch, la- not just the home stretch, the last movie, when I watched it just last night, hold on one second. Uh, and I hope my voice, my sick voice isn't too annoying. Um, at least it's not like cracking, you know, um, tried to call my dog downstairs to go on a walk before we did this. My voice was like, it sounded like the fast food teenager from the Simpsons. Um, anyway, uh, last one I watched just last night, the new Andrew Brzezowski film, it's called There, There. Uh, long-time listeners, people who know me know that I love Andrew Brzezowski. Um, uh, Support the Girls is one of the best movies of the 21st century so far. Uh, I also love Computer Chess and go back to Funny Haha. I like his movies a lot. Uh, there, There is... Um, you know, it's a it's an interesting experiment that he made, but it's not among his best films. It's a series of, I guess it kind of reminded me in a much less organic and more um, determined, schematic sort of way. It reminded me of uh, Person to Person um, from a few years ago, and I'm, I'm completely drawing a blank on that filmmaker's name. Um, but like I said, a little more, more schematic, where um, that one had a lot of, different characters overlapping and and uh dustin dustin guy difa is that guy's name anyway um this one is very clear that it like each scene is a two-hander and with one exception um there's one person that links each scene so the first scene is between lenny james and lily taylor and we have a whole scene and then the next scene is lily taylor and someone else and the next scene is that someone else with another person uh so it kind of goes follows this kind of chain um and uh um they're kind of linked together by these musical interludes interstitials um that are uh pretty good not you know not my least favorite part of the movie although it does the musical interstitials do take place in kind of a like uh boringly generic like uh uh 
hip rich person's LA house um, that I, I I found kind of uh, uninspiring uh, as a location. But um, uh, I think anytime you've got a movie that's a series of vignettes like this, they're going to be hit and miss, and that's the case here. But I think unfortunately, the way things shook out is that it starts with the best ones and then just keeps getting worse. The 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 first two, which are like I said, um, uh, Lily James, sorry, Lily Taylor and um, and uh, Lenny James play. It's the morning after a oh, sort of one night stand, and they're uh, having this little back and forth uh, in in her bedroom about you know is this going to be something what is this or, or whatever um and that's it's a great scene and then we go from there to lily taylor we find out that she's uh in aa and she's meeting with her sober with her sober with her sponsor played by any laganja any laganja um and that's a really good scene as as well where we find out this person we had an idea of who Lily Taylor is in the sort of morning after one night thin glow, but she's a much more troubled person as we soon realize. And I found, I was really into the movie at this point, but then it starts to introduce more, uh, contrived sort of theatrics and, and, uh, heightened, um, uh, concepts that I, uh, found to get, I found kind of tiring and, and, uh, too self-aware um so i would say uh they're there overall uh the rare rare miss from a director that i quite like